This is Preambling, where we turn our useless banter into a whole show so we can cut the fat from our normal episode. In this episode, we talk about how not to script a podcast, why you should subscribe to Katie Room's YouTube channel and bookmark periapsispress.com, poopy Canadian policies, the majestic sage grouse, which Jeff knows a shocking amount about, what happens when people who think their food grows in grocery stores get elected to high offices, the phenomenal restart coming to a banana republic near you, shiny dystopias, the blasphemy of rulers, where the Snope clones are buried, and we found out where good nomads go when they die. Enjoy. Hello, grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowa Cap, And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. the over-caffeinated, uh, the over-caffeinated, I forgot how I was going to end that, the... <laughs> <laughs> like I changed my AKA ten seconds ago and already oh, forgot how I was. But it was good too. I was gonna say, um, uh, I can't. Uh, I can't. Uh, I can't remember. It was something, uh, something like overcaffeinated and overrealized eschatology, or or so. And I, but I can't. Couldn't. Couldn't remember how I landed. I thought of thought of how to say it and couldn't remember yeah. how I landed that that uh, uh, landed that that phrase. And uh, and now now it's it's lost forever because now I feel the uh, feel the obligation to to fill time talking, which will keep me from from thinking of uh, what I meant to say. <laughs> Yes, we're doing great. We're doing great. This is this has to be the strongest opening yet. Uh, if you've oh. ever wondered how scripted is our podcast, we just answered that question here right now. <laughs> oh boy! I don't think anyone's ever wondered that. I wake up. <laughs> it's been pretty clear from the beginning. I, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that is a question that has ever crossed anyone's mind. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick said, "Yeah, that you know, I think he's referring to the AKA. It landed in the past and looks toward the future." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, we're gonna start this uh, this show, this episode though, uh, with a shout out because currently we are competing uh, with with a friend of ours for who is gonna watch the live stream uh, because currently. Katie Room, friend of the show, wife of famed author, is running a live stream. There she is. And there's Fianna Wolf. I think that's how you say it. Her conversation partner. And uh, and there is her is uh, her show, the button you can click on to subscribe to her show, which you should all definitely do. Oh, hold on. I got to actually get down far enough to see it. There it is. It's right, right there. I'm very confused by this, the way I feel like it should be pointing and the way the camera actually points right there. You should all go and subscribe. I subscribed. I subscribed to my personal account. I subscribed on the ABS account um, and all the other burner accounts that I've got going. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you should subscribe to her, her channel, too. She's doing some really cool stuff. Um, she's doing indie spotlights. I think that's only for the summer, though. Um, these the, where they're reading books and she and Fianna, Fianna Wolf um, are doing responses to that, but um, they're live streams. You can, you can go 
listened to her after the fact, listened to the conversation after the fact. I, I listened to their last discussion. It was really good. And, uh, and also she's starting up a, a podcast of her own. Uh, I believe, um, she's, she's still working out the details of how often that's going to, uh, that show's going to land, but you go subscribe and go listen and, and, uh, um, support, uh, good indie content and good indie reviewer content. So go over to, yeah, Katie room, uh, her pot, her, her website, or go to periapsis press, um, dot com. See right there on the screen. Periapsis P P E R I A P S I S press.com. All one word. And, uh, go subscribe, uh, to we always we always want to support good people over here at the Anarchist Bible Study, and uh, and she and her husband are good people, so go go support them. So what else is going on in the world? You know, a good podcaster. I'm just thinking this now. A good podcaster probably would have waited to make that the transition into the Uriel's Revenge reading. You know, but maybe. Maybe her stream will be over by the time we get there. So it's always it's always a likely. bad idea to rely on our <laughs> succinct delivery for your plans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and also, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> unfortunately, twenty twenty is also hindsight. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh but we're not talking about the past we're talking about the present what's going on in the world yeah so um trudeau is talking about bringing in uh fertilizer uh uh fertilizer limits um which uh which uh means get ready for uh uh the honking part two electric boogaloo um, now with now with burning hay bales um, because uh, <laughs> uh, if if he doesn't if he doesn't back down on that one um, then uh, then then I I can't I can't imagine because look fertilizer is expensive this is what I think people who've who who've who've never spread fertilizer except in in the most metaphorical sense can't understand um is fertilizer is expensive you're not going to use more of it than you have to anyway um and and so so when people who who don't understand what it, it, it like and, the, and these people clearly don't understand so I, I mean just to give one example that i know of um, the federal government came in and did um, like a, a sage grouse preservation in, in, out, out in out in these uh, ranch lands uh, um, uh, in in Alberta, and and then the sage grouse did indeed um, bounce back, and so of course the federal government took credit for it. But the place that the sage the places the sage grouse um, bounce back. And by the way, sage grouse, that is an AKA. Why didn't, okay. If I had known I was going to talk about this, that, that's an, that's an H AKA, both sage and grousing. Anyway, um, the, uh, uh, but, uh, but so, uh, so the sage grouse though, back, it bounced back in the places, um, in the places where rather than being protected, um, in the places that were, 
being used by cattle ranchers because the 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 sage grouse does like to be in um in the tall grass which is why in the in the tall grass which is why they they said we want to preserve these these places for the sage grouse where where it can live in the tall grass and where the grass isn't being mowed down by by livestock but so it 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 does like to live in those places um but it doesn't like to spend all its time in those places because predators can sneak up on it in the tall grass so so it it needs it needs both and so it was only bouncing back in places where there was tall grass available but there was also grass that had been mowed down by cattle and when you think about the fact that before even industrial farming this area was populated with millions of bison then 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 yeah a lot of the areas are going to be mowed down there's going to be plenty of places to choose from for a sage grouse to live that's going to be mowed down by herds and herds of bison um and and uh, and that of course protects protects them from predators and of course with uh, I, I mean you have an extra predator now that he didn't have to worry about back then which is just a house cat like <laughs> like um so uh but but yeah the um but you had bobcats and lynx and 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 stuff like that and and they could they can easily sneak up on the grouse and in, in uh in tall grass so they're making rules for things they don't understand they're hiring the top men the finest people um, uh, to uh, uh, to make these rules about things about things they truly don't understand, despite uh, despite being highly credentialed, um, and and this is the thing with a fertilizer uh, limitation or a fertilizer ban is is farmers aren't using fertilizer because they like the smell. <laughs> they're, they're, they're 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 it's it's an expensive input to their farming. And so if you, if you limit how much, how much they can use, you're going to get weird effects that you can't predict. You're going to get your, your, and, and haven't we, like, you would think we would learn, hey, just doing weird, unprecedented things to a free market and, and warping it around, uh, around a top-down policy that is not well thought out, um, since we're still living with the effects of that from the pandemic uh you would think uh and and the economy is still just completely out of whack because of the pandemic i i mean so i mean i was i was joking with the with the overcaffeinated but i need this because i can't find cans of mountain dew there there aren't cans in in calgary right now because still two and a half years into this flipping thing <laughs> it's still messing with supply chains and and so and and so have we not have we not learned that that when you when you turn a dial then you don't know all the things it does like you see that it does one thing but you don't know all the things it's connected to this is chesterton's dial updated for the modern age um you know like then then you're gonna see all these uh, you're you're going to see all, all all these unpredictable effects, and it's just 
yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like Mises, it's Mises, right? Who says the pretense of knowledge, um, or is that Hayek? I think that is Hayek, um, is, 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 is just like, um, that, that, yeah, it, it's, it, it's just this fundamental misunderstanding that things are the way they are, not because not because people don't care or because people are actively trying to destroy the earth, but because this is how things work. And when you start fiddling with th these things, when you don't understand them and you can't understand them fully because no one person understands it fully, that's the problem. Our economy is so complex that no one person can possibly understand it. And that's a good thing because it means, it means that everyone's specializing and that no one is having to hold that information in their head but that means that you pencil neck bureaucrat don't have all the information in your head which means you're going to cause major problems and when you cause problems with food people die sorry yeah and did you <clears throat> well first of all um patrick commented um well first of all i would say i'm always fascinated by how much um random information jeff can keep in his head where he's, you know, talking about sage grouse uh, in a very uh, articulate, uh, well-informed way. On the contrary, though, uh, Trudeau, as Patrick says in the chat, he sure doesn't know crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but David, actually, but it, David Jones, um, I'm trying to come up with a nickname for him on the fly. I think he, I think he deserves one, like something pirate-related. Davy Jones. It's got to be yeah. like, I'm, I'm leaning toward the, the, the pirate Thomist. I don't know. Uh, I don't oh, know. Okay. Let, let me know what you think about that, David. Um, uh, yeah. But <laughs> he said, Lock, you know, this is what Locker happens. Lo Locker Lubber was the first thing I thought of. Uh, <laughs> but he said, uh, when people who literally think food comes from the grocery store in charge. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right. That's really what the way that this, the way it works is that these, these people who are so disconnected from the process, like that these are, these are not, these are not people who work with their hands who are getting elected to these high positions. These are like, I mean, Trudeau's a second generation politician. His daddy yeah. was, his daddy was uh, a politician and also the guy who Although he has his name from. He was an academic before he was a politician. Whereas the closest Trudeau came to being academic, academic was being a drama teacher except you stomped on my my, my castro oh, conspiracy sorry. theory reference uh but oh, oh oh the castro yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> um but but no but like he, he although was he, castro uh, also an academic no no he was well who knows but anyway um uh but but like you know he's so disconnected right there's there's a disconnect there um uh and like all of these people, like all, what do they do? They, they make money off of like, you know, like Pelosi's husband makes money off of insider trading. I mean, um, ta uh, stock market, like there's a, a real <laughs> extreme disconnect of, um, yeah. of, among the ruling class from the way things actually work. And that's why, and I think there's that major disconnect also from the people who were, um, who were calling for the lockdowns online, which this is the fascinating thing is right now, um, the, the media is outright admitting things that you get kicked off Twitter 
for before. And this is just absolute insanity. Somehow that's worse, honestly. Um, but, but now that we've all acknowledged that the lockdowns have t done more harm than good, now that we're all on the same page, now that we're all on the same page with the quote grandma killers, like the there's at the very least there's this principle. Whenever I'm okay, so I am a very amateur sound uh, engineer. I have to be for my job because, uh, frankly, we never had anyone. There's no one in our church who wants to take on that job, and and I'm just like praying for someone who wants to take on that job. So I end up having to be kind of the soundboard engineer, the guy who knows it. And one of the principles I take with me every time I mess with that thing is never mess with anything I don't know how to turn back. <laughs> Because yeah. it could be that I'm turning a dial that I think is going to fix my problem, but it causes a whole other problem. And so I'm never going to turn a dial that I don't know how to turn back or that I haven't looked up what, what kind of effects is it going to cause. And, and the problem is that's not what politicians do. Politicians no. imagine and uh, fancy themselves little gods up on Mount Olympus on, you know, <laughs> Mount Capitol Hill, where they get to make decrees and and mess around with the works, uh, the, with the work of us mere mortals, and then when we have the gall to commit the blasphemy of pushing back, what do they call us? Insurrectionists, 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 because. And, and and I was honestly thinking when I saw that uh, Trudeau, and I think I might have even tweeted to this effect that when Trudeau was 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 uh, passing this, it was like it's like he was saying, "Man, you know what? You know what? What was good times back when we had <laughs> truckers that we could yell at?" Uh, it, it yeah. You know, I just really need well, some more I protesters. Know. Someone uh, just told me I today. Miss it. <laughs> Someone just told me today if he had if he had. Just talk to them instead of before they even got there saying this was going to be Canada's January 6th and they're, they're terrorists and insurrectionists. And, and they were and, wrong. And, this was so much more effective than January 6th. Correct. Correct. Yes, it actually accomplished something, unlike January 6th. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, is that. Uh, if he if he hadn't instantly like before they even got there said that they were um, that they were racist misogynist um, and and that he would basically never be speaking with them and then and then at the time when the pressure to speak with them was highest he got COVID um, <laughs> uh, which. Which maybe he did, which would be funny for a different reason. But then, <laughs> because you've got you've got all these people, all these all these extra people in Ottawa, and the COVID rate did not go up actually. But somehow, uh, the guy making us follow all these rules did catch COVID. Interesting. Um, like all these all these anti-vaxxer radicals, <laughs> extra people in the capital, right? Is, um, uh, but. But yeah, the so, um, and, but and then here's the thing. I mean, so okay, he is he could have avoided that by by being a leader, by being level-headed, by by talking, by by working with them, 
uh, and even even holding a tough line and saying, "Look, this isn't how it works." Like, <laughs> you know, you didn't. Um, and uh, and if he did that, if he if he did that, but then, but then you've you've put them in a situation where you've already gone, you've already gone to eleven. So what else are you going to do to them? Like, well, use the Emergencies Act to ruin their life. But but to the, the, they they thought and 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 there were some of them who knew. Okay, if we do this, the state is going to ruin us. Like they're going to find a way to ruin us, um, and we don't know what it is yet because they're going to make up something novel um, to 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 try to ruin us. But um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the so he could have. Um, he could have he could have possibly done that, but now he's going to bring in this fertilizer thing. They're going to there's going to be more protests, and and somehow they're going to blame it on the grandmother that they just released from jail. Finally, right? Like somehow they're going to blame it on Tamara Leach again. Um. So. It's, it is so, like, again, <laughs> we know and we've been saying this is what the state is, this is what politicians really are, they really are just a gang of criminals that have conned you into believing they're not, right? <laughs> like, um, uh, and, and, and so I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm still surprised at the, at the, at the depth of the depravity and and at and at um the massive cheering section he still has yeah which includes to some extent at least one person running for the conservative party of canada leadership um um and and so it, it in terms of he he said he says that trudeau didn't deal with the truckers well but 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 basically says anyone who took the side of the truckers is is disqualified from from leading the federal conservatives, which, by the way, might be why he loses. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> Man, it's you know that's number one rule of politics: politicians look out for their own. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just I think the what's what's so fascinating is. The headlong run into this ESG WEF um uh can't say the words anymore, um, but you know, they made a book about it. Uh, you know. Phenomenal restart, uh, I think is uh <laughs> what I saw someone say. Um this whole thing has had disastrous consequences all around the world. Like that's what was behind the overthrow of the president in, in Sri, Sri Lanka. I finally got a chance to, to look up and that's that, uh, what was going on there. And yeah, he was a poster boy for the world economic forum, writing articles for them about how Sri Lanka was going to lead the world in in wealth uh after putting these policies into place and instead what do we get famine and starvation and um 
And of course, you know, this whole, you will own nothing and you will be happy sort of thing. Well, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great, except everything, except the, the, there's that economic principle that everything has to be owned. Someone has to own it. Who's going to own it? If not you, who's going to own it? You know, like this, this, uh, this insane, uh, vision this and it's so crazy is the they are so boldly lunat lunatics like they're, they're they're so boldly lunatic is that a is that a i don't know but <laughs> like then you've got that 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 um where they propose that uh thin city where they can move everyone into these sort of cities where we were like stacked on stacked on stacked on top of each other and like they were like, doesn't this sound great? No, that sounds <laughs> awful. Like what kind of a, what kind of a crazy person thinks if we just make this video, I bet they'll get really into it. And, and like, it's again, these, these completely disconnected billionaires that have no idea what normal people think or want. Right. And it's like, they even forget what they once were like. When they weren't billionaires. Right. Um, or the contrary, you could also say, what if, crazy thought, let's put on the tinfoil hat, but what if it's all on purpose? What if they know exactly what they're doing? They know that they're stomping down and, and uh, crushing poor people, destroying the middle class because it's going to make them more wealthy and because they're all a bunch of Malthusians who think that the planet is overpopulated. And um, once you allow for the very real possibility that they not only do know what they're doing and they're intending it, then suddenly it goes from what stupidity to how incredibly evil. And... Either way, like either they can pr pretend pretending they're God because they know everything and can accomplish things they can't do, or they're pretending they're God and that they can assign the value of human life. Either way, like there is, uh, it's it's a blasphemous um, proposal that they this this modern bureaucratic, all powerful, omnipotent state, and um. And I think you're you're seeing a lot of people, even conservatives, kind of seeing this and and um, the term terms like statism are entering the their vocabulary um, to speak about things like this. And um, I think that's a good shift. Um, you're even see and you're seeing shifting in the way they're thinking about police. Small, it's a small step in the right direction, but but it's a step in the right direction. Not that we're all an not that we're anti-cop. We always have to emphasize that we're not we're not uh we're not the ACAB type libertarians. Um, we but we do think that ultimately the cops do serve their masters, and their masters are not you and me. Um, and that's good to keep in mind. And I feel like conservatives are starting to get that. And uh, but the question is, is it going to be soon enough for us to do anything? SCAB scab. And all cops are employed by. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could say ACAB in the sense that all cops are bought. 
uh, <laughs> like they, all cops are are owned by someone you know like but but there's uh there's a sense in that which that's true uh scab yeah scab some cops are bad um all, all cops are owned a a cao isn't that uh isn't that like a berry a sao <laughs> no that's a sai yeah that's it shoot i can yeah. make that work um a cao struck me as greek but i, I yeah not thinking of what um, it would mean yeah especially yeah. spelled that way yeah <laughs> um i mean it looks like we're gonna see i mean i don't know i can't i don't have a crystal ball but the ukraine war could be starting to wear down um seems like could be um i mean seems like it's a matter of time for russia finishes the finishes the con the conquest i mean it's it's like it, it was somewhat inevitable, but you're seeing a lot of. I think what's really interesting to me is you're seeing a lot of damage control going on right now, um, among, uh, among those who went hard in, um, especially in Europe. You're seeing a lot of damage control in Europe as they've been uh, r turning down the funds that they're going to be sending into Ukraine. Um, that's a whole interesting thing, and I, I wish I could go on about the various things that I think about that, but I think that'd be a great way to lose our channel. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's it's turned out exactly yeah. the way we, we kind of all knew it was going to turn out. Like, once we once we knew that the war was coming, that the, it was actually coming, it wasn't just um fear-mongering by washington it kind of all turned out how how we were expecting you know i mean what did we think they were gonna did we think they were gonna start a nuclear war over ukraine no did we think that ukraine in any way had any chance of repelling the clearly superior russian forces for long no um, although they held out a lot longer than i mean but then there's some who are saying that that has more to do with Russian restraint than with Ukrainian force. I don't know, and and it's ultimately, I think we can all say again, we can affirm what we said from the beginning: all war is bad, all war is evil, even if a necessary evil. Um, it is evil. It is a taking of human life on a massive scale, and um. There are no ultimately ultimate good guys in 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 this war or any other. Um, there's just varying degrees of gray, and um, and there was a. I don't know what was was. I'll just say this: one question that wasn't asked enough around the time when people when when there was the. Uh, you know, the first impeachment of, of Donald Trump over a phone call. Um, not enough people asked the question, but why this phone call? Like, they were like, oh, it's a, it's a quid pro quo. Yeah, that's called diplomacy. We do quid pro quos all the time. Um, people in, oh, oh, he was trying to get dirt on his, his uh, political enemy. Okay, sure. But ultimately, I think the real question is what, that no one asked is why this phone call and why did it deserve this response? Uh, I think, and I hope we find out in the following months, that a lot of Biden's bodies are buried in Ukraine. 
I mean that metaphorically. We're not. I don't think he actually killed people and buried their bodies in Ukraine. Although you know, well, wouldn't I, put it out. Wouldn't put it above him. But I uh, thought he went sort of a sort of a sort of a Snoke from a uh, from the Disney Star Wars uh, situation where he's got he's got different iterations of his of his cloned bodies. Um. <laughs> No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> to hear the rest of this conversation, please tune in to Anarchist Bible Study Episode 72.5 and Episode 73.5. And now, back to the show. Let's let's get into, uh, should we move to our Uriel's Revenge for the week? I think it's time. I think it's time. So, speaking of things that inspire awe, uh, and going back one conversation uh, before that, uh, speaking of people who bother to write a good story uh, instead of instead of just Uriel's revenge. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well done, well done. You can you connect. I'm not everything. kidding, by the way. I actually believe both of those things. Um, Literally about, everything. About yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. Um, but we have to say once again, looking with it on the screen, spoilers, spoilers. If you have (laughs) not read up to chapter, uh, what are we at? 20? Yeah. Up to 27. Do not continue forward. Pause, go read the chapters and then join us, uh, as we, uh, get into this, um, to this section of. Uriel's Revenge. So, spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, you've been warned. And here we go. Um. So. They're, they're on the ship. It's going to be a long trip. It's a long trip. Clearly, it's a long trip to Earth. And so, they've got a lot of time. We're not talking faster than light travel. This is this is why uh, there's a little sense of realism to this that like, um, while it's not like years, it is taking a while. Like I think that's one of the things that sci-fi. Um, it's like we every sci-fi book jumps from. Uh, it takes years to get Mar to Mars to thirty seconds or less because we jumped into hyperspace. And so I, I like that it's kind of like a long flight that it's like, uh, um, like, like you have to, uh, take a, a little time and a few days to, to get there. Um, and so he's going slow about it. Not going to be a 30 second flight to get to, it's not 30 seconds to Mars. There you go. Back when Jared Leto was worth talking about anyway. Um, uh, it's not that, but it's taken a little while. And so on the way, we're getting some more information on the Rami Viventus or the general Rami layout, the, the three branches and a um, little more on the nomads. Oh, have we spelled out yeah. by the way, that that's what the RV stood for on the yes. side of the yeah. ship. We did spell that out. I, I couldn't remember. Well, um, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. We said it Viventus. could have been an RU or an RV. And, uh-huh. and 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 when we covered that, um, and and I couldn't remember if we if we spelled out that ah oh, that's what it is, yeah yeah, okay. yeah you're right I don't think I don't know that we did, 
Um, but but we're getting a little more of the information. And in fact, that's where last chapter ended on a cliffhanger where Alan is describing how he got to know how he met Otto, why he doesn't agree with with Otto's thinking uh, necessarily, and um, how he you know was rescued by the knights when the Rami Viventus destroyed his estate. So, um, basic. So, so he starts off talking about basically. There's this ether graph that um, his that his branch had preserved since the cataclysm that that um, his father specifically owned, and this was a, a way of it was something that could detect different kinds of ethereal objects. Um, like the crystalline structure that lies behind physical matter, metallic ether, like nomad weapons and the writing on the wall and human and nomad souls at distances of hundreds of miles when read by a skilled operator. So, um, this is what brought him into the story is that he was actually kept in the dark about a lot of this Rami stuff about the, the, the quote, ancient religion of the Rami. By his parents, both his father and the mother who ran off and had an affair with a, a nomad. A nomad human fusion thing. And of course had Evie. Uh, and um, so they kept him in the dark for the most part about everything relating to the Rami. Um, but uh, so the, so when our Dezira, the, the uh, Archon of the second branch, the Order of the Engineers and the Uriels, the Knights of Uriel, uh, that branch, the, the Archon, our Dezira, when he captured the St. Petersburg, he possessed crew members and forced them to transmit messages that only the Rami would be able to decipher, but then someone disabled the ship and it, and it drifted. Junia and Titus branches have been in closer contact for a few decades, sharing possible leads in the location of their locations of their patrons. When RI communication technicians received the message, the scion of the Junia branch, Syl Sylvain Rousseau, funded and organized a joint search. They knew St. Petersburg was somewhere in Saturn's rings, and the ethergraph would accelerate the search. This was about eight years ago, but I suppose you knew that the St. Petersburg accident was well known. And this is where, once again, we're reminded, Brian says, my brother was an engineer on the St. Petersburg. That's why I came to Mars to join Elwood's company. Nobody believed it was an accident. We all thought it was a, it was piracy. So it kind of was, but ultimately yeah. of a different kind. Which um, we did already know this, but thank you for reminding us uh, because... Yeah. I probably would have forgotten. <laughs> I, I, I did forget it until he until he brought it up again. So it's like perfect time yeah. to, to remind us. Like, oh yeah, that's one of those risks uh, that you take as an author. Like, how do you over-explaining versus right. making sure you remind important details? You know. Um. So this is a good move. Um. Uh. And so Sylvain contacted my father and demanded the ethograph. My father refused. He had been talking with Otto since shortly after my mother, our mother, left. Um, to my shame, I went behind my father's back to Sylvain's son, Pascal, 
and offered the ethograph if they would let me join them in their quest for the tree. I was young, bored, and my father had not exposed me to the darker aspects of the Rami religion. So here we see part of what drives and this is this is like um what do they call it? like core character uh background like things that drive the character that he was helping since he was helping the um because he had wanderlust the youthful wanderlust that he started helping them and because of what he did um says pascal came for the ethograph and um killed my and killed his father when he tried to stop um me when he what quote when he tried to stop me from leaving the manor with it and so um it got his father killed that's that's one of those classic um uh origin stories you know like my foolishness led to the death of my father it's you know like the spider-man with uncle ben you know it's 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 uh it's a good one because it works um because you know that's this yeah. Some tropes are tropes for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's also this thing that like, and this is what I love as I've actually been watching a little bit. The periapsis press um, activities is like, he, she's not shy about pointing out tropes because tropes are tropes are good. Actually. Like this is also where like people started calling uh, yeah, old, um, old sayings and proverbs cliches. They're not cliches. They're, they're cliche if it's like tired expression, but if it's a, something that conveys meaning and helps to, to tell a story, like they're, they're good. Tropes are actually good. They can be done badly. They can be overdone. Um, but, but a trope is, is a trope because it works, you know, like, uh, you know, this, there's a reason, reason the Messiah trope shows up in so many different stories because it works because it taps into the great story. Like tropes are right. fine. Tropes are good. Um, it just it depends on how you use them. It's kind of like uh, also like I, I made a I made a a tweet about poetry this week about how like I I've been reading a lot more poetry and one thing that I've I've noticed is that the way that the great poets will actually use things like iambic pentameter, um, but they it's clear they know it well enough that they know when to break it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a, a sense of like you got to know the the rules well enough that you know how to, to tweak it. And so know your tropes well enough that you know how to tweak it and how to adjust it, I think is, is a good thing. Side note, I think this is one of the best arguments for maybe not one of the best. Um, it is a very good argument for the very shortest possible ending of Mark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is because... Um, it's it's rule breaking. It ends with the word gar. If you take the very possible, yeah. very short as possible. So so gar means four, uh-huh. um, but it's post positive, which means it will not be the first word in a sentence. Yep. Um, but it also normally cannot be the last word in a sentence. That would be a, that would be a clunky and weird, and <clears throat> it's not technically breaking like a hard and fast rule. But it just, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it, it would be clunky seeming. It would, it would seem like, it would seem like your sentence got cut off. Yeah. Which I think was intentional. Yeah. Because Mark is trying to convey that the story is ongoing. Yeah. And, um, is the reason 
why marginal notes and and any anything possibly that could fill in what should go after this this post positive gar <laughs> uh, gets tacked on um, is is not not because not because people are being malicious or 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 because they're trying to smuggle in doctrine or anything like that, but just because just because it looks like a mistake <laughs> when when people are copying it, it looks like that was the mistake, and here's the fix. And mm-hmm. and so people in 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 all good conscience accidentally introduce mistakes yeah. because the original looks like a mistake. Um, and I think uh, so. I think I think Mark is playing with the rules and 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 that that's what happens that that is gives this unsettling ending yeah. to the book of mark which yeah. results in longer endings absolutely um so then he, but then he continues the story so um says the next two years i lived alone reading what i could of my father's old books and sloppily plotting revenge on junia branch um you know basically trying to become the Uriel's revenge version of Batman um, until Otto and a few of his followers, I think their names were Mel and August Mel being the, the person who Eric has a connection to friends who knows maybe more who knows. Uh, but um, and there was a nomad and there's a nomad named Arwanasura. So another nomad. So there's so there are nomads involved in Uriel's in the Knights of Uriel. So initially I was wondering if maybe they were like a radical anti-nomad faction. But no, uh they're they're not. There's there's this nomad with them. Um, um I'm I'm back to maybe wondering if this is just a, a heavily Christianized branch. I don't know. Well, I'm 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 patient. I'm patient. Let let me but we'll find out. Um but they appeared in my back garden and said a combined fleet of the of EOE and Junia branch ships were on their way. Ardazira had returned to petition Arnashura. Arnashura, remember, is the head, the philosopher, is the head of the the Aulus branch, um which he is a part of. Um, actually, uh, uh, yes, let me, let me double check that. Yes. The Aulus branch, you have the tightest branch is Ardazira and the Aulus branch is Alnashura. Uh, Ardazira had returned to petition Arnashura to join in the search for the moonlit. I packed up my things and destroyed the information I couldn't take. And we staged an ambush at the entrance to the caverns of the old sanctuary in the hills beyond the manor. Otto knew that Sylvain and some of the EOE leaders would be there and he was willing to risk his life for a chance to kill them. He didn't tell me he was also after someone else. Uh, and this sparks a, a side note where we learn something valuable. So up to this point, we have actually been giving you false information, but I think we were intentionally led astray um, by the author um, because, you know, um, but basically he says this, you might not know, might not have heard this, but it is known among the Rami that nomads can't be killed. Okay. So the people they've been killing weren't actually killed. Um, um, and, and so noteworthy, of course, is that 
we haven't seen the same effect of the soul being separated from their body like we saw with um with Max's soul being pulled out, being stabbed through by the the nomad or like um when when uh the shady started uh wiping the floor with uh EOE and Rousseau's um when when he came in like a like a boss. Um but nomads can't be killed. With severe enough injuries, they fall into an unconscious state, but they always recover over time. Um, so the dead bodies of nomads they left in their wake weren't actually dead bodies. They were um, injured nomads. Um, but he says the Knights of Uriel, however, possess what is potentially the most powerful relic of them all. The fragments of Ardajira's sword. Ardajira, so they have an, a... a a token from their that the their archon, even though they're not with their archon, um, they have a fragment fragments of Ardazir's sword, known as Arsanira, the Divider. Their legends say that it can force a nomad to expire in the same way that a man's soul does at death. The flame pulled from Max's chest flashed across Brian's mind. So. They have this sword that they can use to, that they think they can use to kill nomads. Now we're emphasizing the fact that it is they think at this point because it's always possible that they don't that it doesn't actually work. But Otto attempts to jump Arnashura with one of the fragments, um, but Otto, but um, I'm not Otto, Alan. Uh, Stops him. Says he's cross blades with Ardajira, the giant, and the giant Archon had him unconscious on the ground. But Arnashura stepped in before Ardajira could kill him and threatened to not cooperate with the RV, the Rami Viventus, unless they let us leave with our lives. We left with our tails between our legs, but Arnashura spoke into my mind that he had a plan. So Nashura, Arnashura is pretending to be working with. The, uh, the EOE and the 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 Rami Viventus, um, but he's and that's why he was sure that when they come to ask him about the location of this the tree and uh that he was going to lead them astray, and send them to another place, um, but Otto, uh, Otto's got a different game he's playing. So for some reason he wanted to kill Arnashura, which we're like, again, we we are in a place where we can only say what we see. Uh, we see that Alan has been mostly good; he's been mostly upfront with them. But I think we should probably take something from the fact that Brian has his doubts. Brian states that throughout these chapters frequently that he keeps coming back around to, "Are you sure we can trust this guy? Are you sure we can trust this guy?" Although he's about to have doubts that seem less than um, less than fully honest himself, um, in I think it's in the next chapter um, where clearly some of his doubts are motivated by <clears throat> Evie has a different man she might gravitate to, to oh, sure. um, for for comfort if if. If uh-huh. Alan turns out to be who he says he is and, and everything yeah. he says is true. That's fair. That's fair. Um, 
but yeah, the, the, but but he's, he keeps stating that he has his doubts. Although I think I think we we should understand that. So Otto wanted, so and 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 so anyway, all that to say, we we've said before that we're not sure. Uh, do we understand the Aulus branch to be good and the other guys are bad? Are the Knights of Uriel good and the other guys bad? Are the Knights of Uriel and Ush and the Aulus branch both good but coming at it from different directions and they just don't see eye to eye? Are they more of a gray, uh, a light gray, as you've suggested in past episodes? Um, I, I lean toward that interpretation myself. Um, uh but we're seeing more of that, that we're, we're, we're kind of, as the reader, we are, it seems like we're being pushed to kind of not entirely fall in line here, to not be entirely 100% comfortable with everything that's being said here. Um, you know, it's, it could be that they're, you know, you know, in the, the another trope is the anti-hero, the, the one who's, uh, a, who is, has good motivations, but does the wrong thing for good reasons like that. That could be what's going on in either of these branches. I don't know. We're, 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 we're staying open at this point, but we're bringing up all the facts. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just calling the play by play. Um, but since the other knights offered to let me join, and this is where I'm again, maybe thinking that the Uriel's a Christianized branch is it says the other knights offered to let me join swearing on the graves of Martin Luther and their ancestors that they didn't know Otto intended to kill Arnashura. So they swear on the grave of Martin Luther. That's uh that, that maybe hints at a, a Christianized. And of course we know that they were a, a parachurch organization as we said uh, uh, before a, a college ministry is what they were in, in Germany. So in Germany, um, and also, but, but also like he does make a, a reference in this, in this chapters, I'm getting out of order, but it's fine. Um, in these chapters that it might, it seems like maybe that was, uh, how Otto was, what is it that he had said that, um, EOE was the first ones to use and they use their own version of, um, so it turns out the Uriel, all right, the Knights of Uriel are the inventors of unveil revelation unveil apocalypse. I'm just saying, uh, make those connections unveil. And they did it out of a tree that they bred to be like an aspect of the, the, the tree of the tree of life that they had, um, that these, that the Rami are after and that they originally had, built a whole world around and it's built is out of this tree, but, but the, the engineers, the esoteric, the EOE esoteric order of engineers had kind of made their own version of unveil. And that's why it's different. Um, probably more, why it's more drug like it's synthetic. Um, but they had seen unveil as a way to recruit others by giving them the eye into this and that, that way they can recruit them into this um uh movement into their and and but he said that Otto himself in, in some ways that's what he was doing as part of this 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 ministry was using unveil as a way to recruit people to the cause now again we have to say is that is it evangelism or is it propaganda 
You know, like, is it evangelism saying opening their eyes to the truth of what is, and maybe he truly believes that this is part of a spiritual battle, like on a Christian Christian spiritual warfare level, or is he using Christian language in order to yeah. uh, convince? I think that's vague at the moment. Christians to yeah, to, so he's he's I don't know. We could go it could go either way. Again, once again, we're at this place where um, let's just call it down the middle and let's wait and see how uh, what comes up. Um, but yeah, so um. It says he stayed at their hideout for a day or two, but left when it looked like Otto was about to recover. I didn't want to speak with him. Uh, soon after, I traveled to New Armstrong, where I, and I met Vishady there. Ever since, I've been studying the Rami texts, tracking down the site where Elwood is headed now, and waiting for bad news. So, um, he says, here and there, one of the other branches sends a death squad after me. Like, I love how he just sort of, like... <laughs> It's like so, so, so blase about that. Yeah, I mean, the periodic death squad comes at my door, but it's fine. I uh, mostly stay ahead of things. You know, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, but he says, but I believe I'm better equipped for my task than I would have would be if I stayed with the Knights, even if Otto had worked out our, even if Otto and I had worked out our differences. Um. The only, Patrick, the only time ABS is going to suggest defense sit. That's right. Uh, we're waiting on more information. That's right. Um, and here's another thing. I, I want to praise David for maybe what might seem to be an offhanded thing. I love how periodically, so like so often sci-fi um, stories will like over-explain the technology. Um. Hmm. But one thing that I really like about Dune and, and, and is sometimes happening in this book too is sometimes a good sci-fi will just, I've noticed, will just drop a detail, a name of something that reminds us that we're in another world, we're in another time, that there's, this is an advanced society. Like, he just, pure, he, Alan yawns and gets up and gets to make some tea, and then he says he placed a mug of water into the multi-oven. What is a multi-oven? What is the technology behind a multi-oven? I don't know. I don't care. But it's great that, like, it's just a great small detail that that reminds us, oh, yeah, this is in a, just a future, a, a, you know, an advanced civiliza civilization future. Well, yeah, and also just that this is on a spaceship, so you're going to have to have other right. ways than... than starting yeah. fires in oxygen rich environment to right. heat things up. <laughs> uh, and then also, and then he, and he dropped the infuser into the mug. It's like two right there of like little things. If he just drops in and just like, all right. So um, I don't know what these things are. It could be something very mundane. could be something very advanced, but he just drops it in there. A word that we're not used to hearing in order to remind us that we're in a different time, a different world that happens a lot in Dune too. That's, that's something that I'm like, I, th I think that's that's got to be a mark of good sci-fi is periodically not too much not so much that you get overwhelmed but periodically just drop in a detail that like we know enough about what you're i know enough about a multi-oven to know what he's doing uh but i don't know the science of it i don't know what it looks like i don't it doesn't matter um i know generally what he's doing and i'm reminded that i'm in a different world and that's enough for now you know 
little do you know that next chapter, the exact dimensions of the multi oven are going to become relevant. It's actually a key point in chapter 32. Uh... <laughs> yeah, not the next chapter. That That's not a believable joke because we've read the next chapter. But, but yeah, chapter 32. It becomes a major plot the, point in, in the climax of the story. The, the size of the multi oven. Uh... <laughs> Um, but then he's like, then it periodically, then, then, then he just sort of says out, out of nowhere. I almost forgot about the separated dagger that you brought. We sh- I should rebind that. Vashady has the ethereal blade. Hopefully someone has the physical part. And so Evie had picked it up. And so all is not lost. They can reconnect the, the spiritual physical blade for fighting against, uh, nomads. And so we see, we see in fact how it's done. It's a little bit gruesome. I'll be real. Um, he has to. It takes a lot more blood than I was expecting. He has to, he, he just sort of offhandedly says, "Oh, uh, Brian, do you have uh, do you have any more bandages? Oh yeah, I got some. Slice. Uh, <laughs> just cuts up his arm and starts bleeding on the dagger. Uh, but but it takes. But it makes sense too because like there's that old you know the the biblical concept of the the life blood. There's something special about blood. Um, and especially if like, there's also like this, this old magic idea of like, there's a symbolism. Like you find that a lot in the Dresden file series, blood oaths. Yeah. Yeah. That, that like whenever, whenever I love, whenever Dresden, uh, um, makes a potion, he's like, it's not that the elements themselves matter. It's that they represent something. So bringing in things that represent what he's trying to accomplish with the potion and brings that together. And so, you know, blood has a, um, uh, uh, blood has a sort of life giving and also life taking, uh, wrapped up in that. Uh, Patrick asks how many nomads can dance on the top of a multi oven? Uh, well done, sir. Uh, and, uh, but, but Again, basic- we joke, but this might end up becoming an actual plot point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, the, the, basically he fills the channels of this dagger with his blood. And then um, we don't see it happening, but Evie is holding on to it. And then Vashady locks the ethereal part into it. No one is seeing what Vashady is doing. So all that it looks like is a dagger twitching back and forth. And then coming to rest so that's that's what it looks like for him to stitch the uh oh i missed that little i see because evie's not wearing anything that lets her see right i get it yeah so so the dagger twitched back and forth for a second that came to rest um because vachetti's moving the dagger but no one can see it um uh, alan swiftly tied one bandage over his arm brian's put his thing on right but no he actually doesn't um, he oh, does yeah, yeah. That's later like, on. Yeah, that's in the next. Yeah, chapter. yeah. After yeah. after Alan gives the dagger back to Brian, Brian then puts on his glasses and then he sees oh, the ethereal okay. blade nestled in place, shining edge tracing the physical blade's contour. Um, and this is where we learn a little bit more about the glasses too. Alan said he tried to get one of those pairs of glasses for the nights before I left, they had two or three, as well as a larger piece of the material that they were made from. So there's some kind of a material that is works like unveil is basically what we're to, to understand by this. It, that, that looking through this material causes them to see that on. Um, they said, our 
crafted it from millions of microscopic fragments that interact with the wa with waves in the ether and selectively polarize light. So, a little bit of detail on how the 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 ethereal glasses work, and uh, and of course they wouldn't. Uh, they didn't let Alan take them. And so you get the feeling that they're going to want them back if they ever find them. <laughs> um, but uh, for now, Brian's taking advantage of them. Um, and then it says, but this is where I think, I don't think it's just jealousy. Although I think it's partially jealousy. In fact, he's very explicit that part of it is jealousy. But he says, Brian tried to catalog and process everything that Alan had said. He had the impression that the jumble of metaphysical claims and events didn't fit together quite correctly. Maybe he was missing a piece of information. He was trying to form the right question, something that reached into the foundations of the metaphysic Alan had presented when Evie's voice broke into his concentration. So that's really the detail where I'm like, I think that is telling us yeah. Yeah, you're that right. if, even if Alan is good he's not being entirely up front mm. like this is a world of secrecy this is not just um you know this is a religion we got to remember and and even though alan was not um fully brought into the religion this is still a world of of dark gnostic type sects competing with each other and so you get the feeling from that that he's not telling us everything and Brian is sensing that something's missing because Brian has that analytical mind, right? Like he's such a, he's an analytical mind. And we see that at work actually in this chapter where he starts messing with his computers, but something in his analysis is like something is missing here. And, um, and I think that's gotta be part of why he's not exactly on team Allen quite yet. Um, but then at whatever he wanted was information from what's happening back on Mars and uh, turns out the uh, as after they left, very soon after, the uh, RV ships split. Um, and Alkoff makes Alkoff. Th there's this interesting bulletin that I'm I, I get the sense is going to come up later that Alkoff makes the comment that the UDSE uh, in, it has repeated demands for the UDSE to answer for the use of known UDSE technology, including space frames and energy weapons by the aggressors. Like it can only be, it feels like that's a detail of like, it can only be explained by so much piracy that you feel like the UDSE is somehow involved in this. And that's the, uh, that's the earth. Is that right? Right. Isn't that the, the earth? No, um, government. Yes. Yes. If any room is still awakened in the chat, please let us know if that is that is what it is. Yeah. Or Patrick, if you remember, I think that's what it is too. But I, I just I can't quite remember. Um. So. But yeah, that's that's something that um. Um. Yeah. Um. And Alan uh, suspects that. Um. They that they are waiting on word from Earth about where to go. Um, to be honest, I'm surprised they don't have the location already looking at a, um, at a map. If they sent part of their fleet to earth after your encounter at Titus's grave, they should have arrived there yesterday. So um, he theorizes that they split up and that the, the majority of the fleet is waiting on word of where to go. Um, and then um, 
Brian and Evie both go to bed uh, together. It should be noted, though no funny business happens. Um, uh, but while they're leaving, they hear Eric is starting to question Alan more about the Knights of Muriel. Brian couldn't make out all the words, but he heard the name Mel pass back and forth between them. So uh, Eric is still... Uh, and it makes sense. He's got questions about his friend. Was he? Was she really his friend? Is she really good? You know, that's the thing. Like, you hear your friend is working for your dad. You thought you knew what was going on, but now your dad might not be a good guy. So is your friend a good person, too? You know, like this. Uh, it makes sense that he wants to know... Um, you know, you know, it's that whole, qu that's another trope of how much of a, how much of my life is a lie. That sort of question. Um, but then, uh, Brian and Evie, well, before they fall asleep, they're, they're talking to each other. And, and Brian once again asks if he trusts Alan. Um, and do you believe what he said about you? I don't. And then Evie responds, I don't know. I hope everything seems clearer in the morning. I hope so too. He pushed away the tension that clamped onto him as the word half nomad surfaced and concentrated on the shape of Evie's shoulder beneath his hand. Good night, Evie said, and she nestled into him. And that ends chapter 26. Um, before we move on 27, is there anything in 26 that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? I, I, I just, I just wanted to point out that, uh, that uh evie evie is uh um regretful for restarting their physical relationship at san larissa and yes, and even yes, does it. musing that god might be messing with them is the way she puts it um, what happened to sarah yeah. for what happened to sarah yeah um so uh with that's a that's an that's an interesting com complex little character yeah. beat there yep and uh, yeah that's true and um yeah in the next chapter i think the big like there's a lot of good interpersonal stuff and that's it, it'll be good to to get into that see like um they muse on the relationship between uh how they're gonna break it to sarah um there's uh alan does talk about how he wishes he could have found a better way to break the news to Evie about her half nomad, but there was, but time was pressing and needed him on board, needed her on board. Um, and, and, um, and some good information about Brian's, um, feelings for Evie too. There's kind of, there's a lot of good character development stuff. Um, I don't want, I'm, I feel like I'm belittling it by just, sweeping my hand over it but but it is you know really we don't have to go into all of that um but really the big thing is that um brian starts taking a look at um the manuscript that max had been working on the translation that max had been working on um especially with keeping in mind that it might be some kind of an algorithm and uh you know we we find out that Vishady, the, the question of like, why doesn't Vishady translate the whole thing? And it's like, well, for one thing, he doesn't know English. He doesn't do very good with English. Uh, as, as remember, he said, and sir was the best he could do when, when uh, they were being called. Um, but also that the codex uses more than a few words that are unknown to him. So even words that he doesn't 
no. And he says, I suspect Arnashura could translate it, but these but there are parts that neither Vashadi or I can make sense of. Um But basically, um yeah, like I said, Brian takes a look at the um uh gosh. I'm trying to think of there's other things in here that I'm like, what what do we need to bring up? The sifters come up. Um, that's something that like feels like we still don't have a lot. They're the kind of the people who helped them to learn how to slip. It's called slipping, which is kind of like flying through space, sort of using ethereal time, tra ethereal travel instead of um, uh, instead of space travel. Although we're about to learn. There are limits to the speed of yes. It's not instant. It's not um, an instant trans. Yeah, it's not an instantaneous transmute transmission, but it is um still fast. It's faster, which I get. It's light speed. He keeps bringing it up enough that I I get the feeling that we're gonna start seeing some slipping by the end of this uh story. Maybe even having our our main characters slipping. I think that'd be kind of cool. Just saying, um. Uh, but the sifters, they say they sifters, they always seem to know more than they spoke. They followed nomads who did not serve by going into battle, carrying messages or crafting objects from the ether. Like uh, most nomads did instead, they interpreted each other's dreams and contemplated what lay beyond the boundaries of the spheres. So there's a question about who the sifters are. Are they good or the bad? What's going on? No idea. Um, uh, And then we, the, the name of this tree that they use to make unveil is called the pseudo vitae, pseudo false life vitae. So it's a fake tree of life, um, tree of life. which they use to, to create unveil, at least their version, the more pure unveil. Um, and then we get that detail that I've already talked about, about how they used it. Um, but then um, Brian um, starts taking these... Um, these translations, these partial translations that Max had accomplished, it says it looks like a lot like the old programming language, LISP Lisp. And I don't know if that's a real or made up thing because I know so little about it. I know so little about computer programming, but I'm just going to assume it's a sci-fi thing. Um, but basically, he starts working through this, and I'll, I'll be no. real. A lot of this, a this, lot of these details. Go right this over my head. 19, 1958 uh, programming language. Okay. All right. Um, but a lot of this goes right over my head, by the way. Um, but it's a lot of details about how the nomads understand space, um, how they think in terms of direction. And then Brian, from this detail, launches a program and gets a uh and gets a trajectory and then of course this is where that detail that you brought up that it's not instantaneous it's some sort of speed of life uh speed of light and so they come to they they adjust for time and they see that this this trajectory that um our Shakira and Junia took off on based on our writing 
um, is would land them right on Umbriel, the uh, the the it's, uh, the moon of uh, what is it? Moon of Uranus, Umbriel. So the Uranian moon, Umbriel, and so all of a sudden, this is they see this must be where they landed, and so um, they're still gonna head to Earth. They ask the question: Should we re? Is it pure coincidence that Umbriel is Uriel with two extra letters? Uh, I, 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 maybe it is. Oh, it could be, but let's be open to the fact that it might not be. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, but anyway, um, they're still going to go to Earth, but now they have a clear idea of ultimately so, so, where they're going to go. Uriel, Uriel is just Umbriel after the, the MBs left. So when the Mennonite brethren left left the uh, Umbriel, no, that doesn't work. I don't think that's what it is. Uh, okay. Um, but this is where I think that maybe we also have a clue that things are about to go wrong on Earth. The fact that they figure out where to go before they even get to talk to to Arnashura, I think we're supposed to understand. I think we have a, a little hint there that probably things yeah. are about to go wrong. That it's not going to work because if it was going to work out according to plan, they would just talk to Arnashura. He would have told them where to go. Oh, Umbriel. Okay, we'll go there. Um, but. They figured it out before they got to Earth. I think things are about to go sideways, um, which is what we are here for. But that's next week when we get to chapter 28. Oh, man. Um, we are we're cruising along, man. I, I'm, I mean, it, the end is within sight. Far away, but still within sight. And uh, we'll be getting there before we We're more than two-thirds of the way done now. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but also, we have been preambling uh, for uh, almost almost uh, three hours. So, we might have had three episodes. Um, but, <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe maybe architecture is an episode and... And and uh, I don't know. Yeah, we might have just put out the next two bonus episodes. Um, nice. Uh, but that means so that Jeff can actually uh, take take his time with this thing for his episode. By the way, uh, if you're watching this live or watching this when it drops, uh, this what what's coming next? Uh, episode uh, episode seventy one. Jeff is going to continue his. Um, analysis 72 sorry 72 uh just gonna continue his analysis of um uh the the um the roman mars what roman mars can learn about Commonwealth. yeah uh and uh uh, and he's gonna continue that and so he can get to that um i am going to say enough preambling let's get to the show this has been Preambling. To hear the rest of our conversation, tune in to Anarchist Bible Study Episode 72.
grace and peace.